Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and I want to welcome you to today's podcast, where I think we're going to have a really good discussion on the use of antioxidant compounds on either aluminum or copper or both, what the National Electrical Code says about it, what the manufacturers say about it, and of course at the end we'll give you my opinion, and we'll also look and see what the aluminum or the copper associations say about the use of an oxide inhibitor or the nature of oxidation itself. So we're going to cover all those things in today's episodes, but before we do that, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor for this episode. So sit back, we're going to listen to our sponsor and uh, please visit them and, and look at the different products that they offer. And then we'll come back and we'll dig deeper into this discussion, which we've talked about before, but we want to get a little bit deeper today. So sit back and uh, we'll be right back. Today's show is sponsored by electricianpride.com, your one-stop shop for electrician-specific t-shirts, hoodies, phone cases, mugs, die-cut stickers, leggings, and so much more. Featuring unique designs for electricians, journeymen, and master electricians, as well as electrical engineers and electrical inspectors. For more information on all the products that are available, visit us at www.electricianpride.com today. All right, so again, visit electricianpride.com bunch of good designs for master electricians, engineers, uh, helpers, gosh, um, just all kinds of, of, of good stuff over there. Uh, they got the new Tesla, we got the new Tesla stickers as well as the shirts and everything. So good stuff. It all helps support our shows. So again, appreciate that. All right. So we're going to talk about antioxidation compounds or inhibitors and what does the National Electrical Code say about it? What do the manufacturers say about it? And of course, many people know I used to work for NEMA, the National Electrical Manufacturers Association. So I'll give my insight into it, obviously, uh, and I'll try to be as unbiased as possible. And I can do that because I actually also work for a manufacturer that makes both copper and aluminum. So again, I have knowledge of both products and, and the applications, terminations, and I also sit on UL486, which is dealing with connections and terminations and things like that. So I'm going to give you my perspective on it. I also sit on code making panel five when it comes to uh, article 250 uh, and 200 grounding and bonding and, and all that good stuff. So I'm going to give you a wide perspective of it. And we're going to talk about things like oxidation, what causes oxidation um, and the difference between oxidation and corrosion, although extremely similar and both results in a form of corrosion. One offers a protective layer and the other is detrimental over time. So it's irreversible. So we're going to talk about it and, and kind of broaden it out a little bit. So first things first. Okay, first things first. What does the National Electrical Code say about the use of solder, fluxes, inhibitors, or even compounds? What is their position on it? Well, if you're in the National Electrical Code, and we're going to look at the 2020 edition in today's episode, did not really change from the 2017, so no big deal there. But what you'll see is that 110.14 is kind of broken into the, the first main body is broken into three different kind of concepts. 
The first one is reminding you that you have different characteristics of metal, like copper versus aluminum, that when they go together and you have current flow, you can get a galvanic action. It can have a detrimental effect on that termination and the reliability and longevity of that termination. Okay? It also goes on to remind us that um, you have different splicing devices that also might be rated for both copper and aluminum. So we're familiar with something called ALCU, that's aluminum and copper conductors, uh, excuse me, terminations uh, or lugs. And, you know, typically they're going to be zinc coated or some kind of neutral metal that allows you to be able to intermingle both copper and aluminum at this splicing point. Um, And then many times you'll see them also be AL7CU or AL9CU. And that 7 just says that that terminal is rated at 75 degrees C. And the AL9CU is telling you that terminal is rated at a 90 degrees C. Okay? So that's, that's your lug. And then many times the lugs are used by manufacturers. So then the manufacturers that use a specific lug, whether they produce them or purchase them uh, as an OEM, and they put it in their product, then they'll have a label that will give you instructions. And a label might tell you to use antioxidant compound, or it might make no mention of it. So let's first look at what the code says. So 110.14, third paragraph, I believe it's the third paragraph. Yeah, third paragraph in the main opening body, it says... Materials such as solder, fluxes, inhibitors, and compounds, where employed, shall be suitable for use and shall be of the type that will not adversely affect the conductors, installation, or equipment. So the first thing's first. It's saying, you know, if you're going to employ it, means, again, it's not a requirement. It's saying, well, if you're using it, where it's employed, whether or not the manufacturer tells you to do it under their listing 1103B, part of their listing requirement, their instructions, or you're doing it as a going above and beyond the code, or maybe an engineer requires it on a specification or something like that, or maybe it's just your general practice, or maybe even a local jurisdiction. Maybe even uh, it's, it's written down. Not what an inspector wants, but what is actually documented by the jurisdiction They might have some amendment to the rule in 110.14 that requires it. Okay, whatever the case may be, that means you are employing it. And when you do employ it, then you have to make sure it does not have an adverse effect on the conductors, the installation, or the equipment itself. Now, most of the products that are made for this, this antioxidant inhibitor compounds, are made by companies like NSI, Ideal, Loctite, Gardner, just to name a few, um, that produce these products that have been listed, they're UL listed, they've been tested. Most of them had what's called a suspended zinc particulate that actually is in, and of course zinc is very commonly used as a metal that can bridge between a copper and aluminum connection. So it's suspended with that. Always check the listing of the material or that you're using, the antioxidant inhibitor, to make sure it's safe for the application you're using it. Obviously they have a listing as well, so you want to verify that. Assuming that it is, then if you're employing it, then you just have to make sure it's not going to have that adverse effect. And if it's listed and it's for use on wires and it states that on the label, chances are you're going to be gravy on that one. It's not going to be a problem. Now, again, that takes us also to 1103B, as we talked about when it comes to the code. And if the manufacturer states in their literature, 
let's say it's a disconnect or service equipment or a fetal feeder uh, remote distribution panel or whatever it might be, and it states that you use a oxide inhibitor when aluminum conductors are used, for example, that's very common to word it that way, then you're going to follow the manufacturer's instructions. Here's what I will tell you. So we're shifting from the NEC where it says no requirement to use it, Nothing prohibits you from using it as long as it isn't detrimental to the connection, to the equipment, to the installation, then you can use it. Now, if the manufacturer does not put anything in their literature about using it, then you just don't have to use it. Your choice to do it is your choice. You're going above and beyond the minimum safety standard. And that's people swear by it, and that's fine. Keep doing it. That's what you want to do. Perfectly fine. Uh, but again, it is optional at that point, unless the manufacturers of the equipment that you're terminating onto tell you to use it. Now, with that said, I can tell you, for example, UL67, which is the panel board with all its terminations, its lugs, whether it's a main lug only or terminated to a breaker that's connected onto a panel board, which is the, the guts, for example, do not have a requirement in 67 to use oxide inhibitor during the testing process or the ANSI-UL testing that gets done subsequently by a NRTL, whether it's ETL or through Intertech or, or UL or FM or whoever it may be is that third party that the manufacturer is using. Um, in that process, there is no requirement to use an antioxidant compound. However, if they did test it with an antioxidant inhibitor type of compound, then that would be in their listing and that would be in their instructions and that would be in the labeling of their equipment. Now, I have seen this on occasion for single disconnects, okay? Small 60-amp disconnect pullouts. I've seen literature that said in it, on the label, uh, that if you're going to use aluminum conductors, use an antioxidant compound, okay? I've seen it, all right? So that's a direct statement that they're making and you're going to follow it because that's part of their listing. Other than that, it's just a going over and above the minimum standard. And you're free to do that anytime, okay? Now, so when you test it, there is no oxide inhibitor. So it's tested with copper or aluminum based on that lug, and it doesn't require any additional compounds or inhibitors, okay? So that's from the manufacturer. So electrical inspectors should not be pushing that down your throat unless it's something in writing, that is part of an amendment or something that the jurisdiction has changed, not just their own personal will. We don't want to impose personal will. They're not the ones doing the installation. You are. You get to make that. They're looking in to see if it meets the minimum standards. That's it. That's all, they're, that's all they're supposed to be doing. Okay, They're not the ones doing the install. Okay, So, anyway, so we've established that. Now, that's the manufacturer's perspective. Now, I used to work for the National Electrical Manufacturers Association, and I can tell you, having an interaction with all these manufacturers, they do not test their products with an oxide inhibitors. They don't. It's unnecessary. When you terminate conductors freshly onto a termination and you torque it, it should not be necessary for you to do that. Okay? If you choose to do it, that is your choice. Now, let's talk a little bit about the oxides whether we're dealing with aluminum oxide or copper oxide. Now, I will tell you, copper oxide is the patina that gets on copper. You've seen it on the Statue of Liberty, okay? The color green, that's an oxidation, okay? That's a patina. 
Um, you see it on copper roofs. Now, did I say roofs or roofs? I don't know. I'm from Virginia, so whatever. And yes, right. So at the end of the day, it actually serves as a protective barrier to further corrosion. Okay. Now, a couple things about oxides. You can have oxidation on aluminum or copper conductors in a dry environment. Okay. You're going to still get oxidation. Now, in a wet or damp environment, you take the oxygen that, that penetrates on the surface of the conductive medium and you add moisture to that, you create something that gets more detrimental and that is called corrosion. Now, while oxidation is, the first, is a first primary beginning stage of corrosion, it serves as a beneficial protective layer, both copper and aluminum initially, versus what happens when you add moisture to the element and it becomes a corrosive environment and then it starts to rapidly break down now that's when i get a lot of questions from people and say well why does everybody always seem to do this only on aluminum conductors and not copper conductors well that's probably general practice that people have always you know either wanted to do it on aluminum and not really felt necessary to do it on a copper product well i can tell you right now that i used to do it on both aluminum and copper terminations of the feeder and service conductors, okay? I didn't do the branch circuits, okay? Uh, but I always did it. It was just a, a practice uh, for the feeders into remote distribution panels and in my service equipment, switchboards, switchgear, things like that. I always utilized it whether I was using copper or aluminum, either or. It's just a practice. I have the, the bottle. It's just part of our procedure because we would go above and beyond. And for us... We were always concerned with potential moisture, humidity, where we were at, longevity. We know that the terminals are, in many cases, the weakest link in a reliable system, okay? So we wanted to go over and above to do whatever we thought was necessary so that we didn't have to come back out there again, okay? We wanted to make it last. So we torqued it, and we were torquing way back before torquing was the thing because 110 uh, 3B said that you do it in accordance with the instructions, and the manufacturers gave us torquing requirements. It's printed in most all pieces of equipment. So I would follow the torquing requirements. I mean, that's just something that we would do. However, it became a thing a couple of cycles ago, and now it's uh, obviously expanded 110.14D, talking about torquing and, and things like that. So, again, it's a vital role in the longevity of that termination. But if you torque a conductor that's freshly stripped, like copper or aluminum, then you're not going to have a a rapid uh, period of of oxidation that's going to be a problem, okay? So let's assume that you strip them and you do not, uh, you expose that conductive medium for a long period of time and then you create oxidation on there. So for copper, it will start to turn dark uh, in a high sulfuric acid uh, or sulfuric environment you'll start to get some oxidation that'll take place it could be black or you'll get in an area where it has a higher element of moisture it'll start to turn green it's blue whatever that's the patina on it that's a protective layer however it is still detrimental to a reliable termination so that obviously gets scraped off now the reason you don't see many people do this with the copper uh, is because it takes a while to get to that point Both of them can oxidize pretty rapidly, copper or aluminum. But again, you don't see those detrimental effects as much. You start to see copper, which is shiny, start to get more dull 
then that's an oxidation layer that's building on it. Now, the thing about copper oxide is that it's pretty brittle. Uh, it's soft. And so the moment that you torque it down, uh, it starts to break it away, and you get a good you know, metal-to-metal connection, you know, a good electrical connection. Aluminum oxide is not that easy to break down. So in its scenario, probably what happens is it's not going to break down on torquing. It creates a film, a barrier that can create resistance at the termination point um, because you've got a lug that makes contact with the conductor. So you've got current that's going to be based on whatever loads is on the system that's going to be actually causing the reaction of those electrons in that conductor. And you're going to create an insulated barrier between contact points between the lug and the conductive medium, the conductor. So it can be detrimental. It can start to overheat the termination and then over time could wear it out and call it to overheat and burn up. So again, in the short term, probably not as big a deal if I leave the insulation all the way on the conductor all the way to the end and then I strip it immediately terminate it. Then again, based on manufacturer's testing and, and everything, it's not a requirement to use an oxide inhibitor. Um, and it's probably not going to make a difference. However, If you strip them out and you become a habit of applying the oxide inhibitor, then you're further reducing potential moisture into the termination. You're reducing oxygen to the termination long term. And again, you're just going above and beyond the code. That's a choice you need to make. Okay. Now, with that said, obviously, you've got to do something to the aluminum oxide if it develops in in significant amounts. Um, then you want to scrape it off. And the manufacturers of the antioxidant compounds or inhibitors will give you instructions, brass brush or an emery board or like emery tape, and you scuff it up, and then you apply the inhibitor, and then you terminate it, okay? Uh, And you coat it evenly all over the conductors, get it in all the uh, interstices and everything like that, wipe off the excess, you know, glopping it in there to its excessive amount is not going to give you any added benefit okay so you just cover it up and you terminate it and you torque it properly um and again i used to do this for both copper or aluminum with feeders and and um, service conductors it just was a practice it's just what i did what my guys did all right you know you can disagree that's fine but that's what i did you say well you, you wasted it you didn't need to do it on copper well theoretically i don't need to do it on aluminum either but i do it and you do it so what's the point right all right so Breaking up that aluminum oxide, which is a little bit tougher than copper oxide, helps make that conductor-to-conductive medium connection that is going to give us a reliable long-term connection. And, of course, putting oxide inhibitor on, it's going to keep moisture and oxygen out of that, uh, that termination. Okay? All right, so that's kind of where we're at when it comes to the oxide inhibitor. Now, let's talk about manufacturers. Obviously, we talked about the manufacturers don't require it as part of their testing. But let's look at what the Copper Development Association talks about when it comes to oxidation, as well as the Aluminum Association. Okay, now we'll look at the Aluminum Association first. Now, on their website, aluminum.org, there's a resource page, and you can go to the electrical facts, and you can look at a Q&A, and you can get into question number nine, and it says, is joint compound required to be used on aluminum to prevent oxidation? Okay. I would have preferred it to not say joint compound. Uh, I would have preferred it to say oxide inhibitor or compounds, pastes, whatnot. Uh, okay, so here's what it says. I'm going to read it verbatim because this is directly from the Aluminum Association, who is very partial to aluminum, obviously. And I sit on the aluminum committee. 
as well as I sit on a copper committee. Now, here's what it says. It says, only if the conductor, or excuse me, only if the connector manufacturer or local code specifically require it. That's a true statement. The NEC does not require oxide inhibitors for either aluminum or compound, uh, or copper, excuse me. But it does require that you follow the manufacturer's installation instructions for the listed products. So again, we're going to leave it up to the manufacturer to dictate whether or not you have to use it. Okay. Now it says, however, even if oxide inhibitor is not specifically required, it is recommended for both aluminum and copper conductors to prevent ingress of moisture and the possibility of subsequent corrosion. Okay. That's what it states directly from their website. And I agree with this, and this is why I did this practice. Okay. Uh, I'm all about the longevity. Okay. Whether or not it's required, that's just something I do. Now, Again, if you don't want to do it and no manufacturer requires it, then don't do it. You're not violating the code. You're not doing something that is below the minimum safety standard. You're following the minimum safety standard. It also states here that both copper and aluminum conductors will corrode if installed in a corrosive environment. True statement. Proper installation and choice of connector help to prevent corrosion at connections. Yes, very true. Whether or not you get a sealed connector, uh, open connector, uh, whatever, it again, look at your environment, choose your connector wisely, and that type of thing. But again, the Aluminum Association recommends the use of an oxide inhibitor on both copper or aluminum. Very fair and balanced here. Now, it also goes on to say oxide inhibitors are also tested for specific uses. Be sure to follow the manufacturer's recommendations and use only Inhibitors specifically listed for the conductor type and voltage class class you are installing. That's a true statement as well. Many of the inhibitors, for example, one of the brand names, uh, Nolox, which is uh, from Ideal, for example, will state that it's for 600-volt conductors. Of course, we know today that low voltage is 1,000 volts or less. We have, uh, again, uh, and being true to that statement, 2001 and higher is medium voltage, so pretty much 2000 and less is low voltage. So its statement on some of its products are limited to 600 volts. So you just need to look at it, look at your voltage class, um, but also look at what is in it. Most of those are going to have zinc particulate suspended in the actual material, and that is okay because zinc is many times used as a bridge between copper and aluminum terminations. All right, so at the end of the day, Make sure that you read the instructions of the oxide inhibitor to make sure it's not going to have any what? Detrimental effect on the conductor itself or the termination or the equipment. Okay? So that's the things that you want to check with the manufacturer of that compound and make sure it's everything. Because that's got a, it's a list, it has a listing as well. Okay? All right. Now, copper development. you got to dig kind of deep in their website. Because, you know, sometimes a copper wants to fight aluminum and aluminum wants to fight copper. And I'm in a position where I support both copper and aluminum for whatever your choice of need is. Um, But at the end of the day, uh, deep in their website under the industrial design guide, and you look under failure, and you'll see where they make a statement about oxidation. So we're going to say that's a general statement about oxidation. And here's what it says. Understanding nickel, copper, and tin oxide formation is important to put the proper perspective when considering functional limitations of connectors. 
Okay, and it gives kind of a kind of a chart, and it plots the tin, nickel, and copper oxidation. Now, it makes a couple important statements here. It says the figures that you can find on their website says film or oxide formation occurs very quickly. So that's generically across the board. It also stated that nickel and tin oxides are self-limiting. We're not too worried about the nickel and tin for our situation. We're worried about the copper oxide. So the nickel and tin tend to get to a certain thickness, and then the equilibrium takes over, and it doesn't get any thicker. Whereas it states here that copper oxide will form quickly and will continue to grow over time. Okay, true statement, true statement. Now, again, it says relatively thin copper and nickel oxides will result in unstable resistance. That's important because, again, aluminum oxide is a lot more short-term evident because aluminum that was shiny starts to get really dull, kind of opaque, if you will. Whereas copper is shiny, then it starts to get kind of dull, and then it kind of starts turning dark. Uh, That's an oxidation as well. Now, again, you heard me explain the reason that most people don't do anything to copper is because, I mean, this is their mentality, because it is a softer oxide, and it's easily broken up at termination, whereas aluminum is not. I agree. That's a true statement. However, in a fresh new install where you're leaving the insulation all the way up to the end of the conductor, and then you're only stripping it out minutes before you're going to terminate it, not, oxidation is not going to be an issue. It hasn't had time for the contact points that you're going to torque of that conductor into that lug have not had time to generate any oxidation or that film that can have an issue on resistance. Okay? you just not. That's conduction points. Uh, however, if it's a, something where you strip it and you leave it out exposed for a longer period of time, then you could have oxide. And then it's better to increase your chances of a longer stable installation is remove the oxide that's on there, whether it's copper or aluminum, even though the manufacturers are not requiring it, even though the National Electrical Code is not requiring it. That is a choice that you have to make. And again, as an electrician, I don't want to go back because of a poor termination. Of course, it's going to have a lot to do with torquing, but I don't want to go back because of that. (laughs) That's the issue, okay? So, important to remember that. That's all important things to remember in the application of of the oxide. So, that's from from the copper development and from the aluminum association. So, again, whereas the copper development doesn't specifically address oxide inhibitors, the Aluminum Association does. I'm sure it's somewhere on copper development. Um, but at the end of the day, the choice is yours. Recommend it. Now, from a wiring cable perspective, the manufacturers, um, we highly recommend the use of oxide inhibitor, whether it's copper or aluminum. And again, it's just a above the minimum standard approach. Now, it's not something in our listing. It's not something you're going to say 1103B from the wiring cable folks. No, it's not. And it might even be some kind of statement on a document, but that's not part of our listing, okay? Um, So it's not requirement from the manufacturer, but we might give you a recommendation, okay? And that's where that would be based on. It's purely based on a recommendation only, okay? So let's kind of recap this because I probably went a little longer than I wanted to with this. Um, 110.14 does not require it. It says where you employ it, okay, you are making the option to use it, 
then it can't be detrimental effect on the conductors. It can't be a detrimental effect on the installation or the equipment. If 1103B is in play, means the manufacturers tell you to use an oxide inhibitor on their terminations in their equipment, then you will use it. If the local AHJ or an engineering on a specification or somebody in that authority tells you to do it, then you're going to do it. Um, other than an inspector who just tells you to do it because they want it, I would go over their head if you don't want to do it or just squirt it on there and just appease them and move on. You know, it's kind of hardly worth dying on that sword for, right? And so that's it. Now, it's from the Aluminum or Copper Development or the Aluminum Association. It's recommended. Copper Development tells you that oxide is a problem, and they even state that it generates pretty quickly. Um, Again, easier to remove copper oxide than it is to remove aluminum oxide. So the manufacturers of the oxide inhibitor gives you instructions on how to remove it, whether it's a brass brush or an emery board or emery tape or whatever, just to scuff it up. Then you apply the inhibitor, and then you make your termination. You torque it properly in accordance with 110.14D, and you're good to go. But remember, it's a choice that you get to make unless somebody's forcing that upon you based on the local rules, an AHJ's local rules, an engineer specification, uh, or a manufacturer. Other than that, the National Electrical Code says that where it is employed, not that it has to be employed. It just says where you're employing it, okay, you've made a choice to use it, or the manufacturer's made a choice for you to use it, it just has, can't be detrimental to the installation, the conductors, or the equipment. And where do you get that? You just simply go to the antioxidant compounds manufacturer, look at their listing, look at their products label. If it's listed for use in copper or aluminum conductors, you're good to go. Have at it. So hopefully that kind of covered everything. So, again, that's my position. I used it on both. It only take a second, and that was just a practice that I did. You have your own practice. Some of you say, no way, never on copper, always on aluminum. Perfectly fine. Uh, that's okay. Some of you say no. It, can, it only has to be on aluminum and no copper. Yeah, but that's your choice. That's what you want to do. And some people like me say, hey, just use it on both. Anytime you're dealing with feeders and services, then that's just where I would use it. Some people might say, no, nope, I use it on all terminations. I dip it in to the bottle or the tube, whether I'm doing brand circuits, feeders, or whatever. You can't go wrong. You're going over and above the minimum required standard. Have at it. Till next time, folks, stay safe and God bless.